Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Good morning, Sarasota. This is the Sarasota Stories Podcast. Roughly 38% of U.S. attorneys are women. However, very few are actually leading the law firms they work for. So in the rare instance when a woman does rise to the top, that is indeed something to be recognized and celebrated. Hi, I'm your host, Bob Williams, where I try to find the most interesting people doing the most fascinating work right here in the greater Sarasota area. You see, I believe it's absolutely essential to hear each other's stories in order to build relationships, community, and who knows, to find your next best friend. So every Tuesday and Thursday, you'll hear from your neighbors who are running businesses, writing books, leading our local government, starting a new project, and impacting our town in positive ways. I'm very pleased to welcome Talisa Zuberer, shareholder and president of Sarasota's largest law firm, iCard Merrill. In this episode, you'll learn one thing most people don't know about Talise, why she chose a career specializing in condominium and homeowner association law, how her predecessor, Robert G. Lyons, prepared her to assume the role as CEO at iCard Merrill, three tips on being a great HOA board member, why Talise believes her leadership style as a woman is different, who should reach out to Talise, and much, much more. Thank you for stopping by today. It's my hope that you will listen, learn, but most importantly, connect. Lee Zuber, shareholder and president at iCard Merrill. Welcome to the Sarasota Stories Podcast. Thank you. Well, just so my listeners know, this is by far the best location I have ever done a podcast because we are on the sixth floor at the... Um, iCard Merrill building. Is this your building or? This is not our building, but we have the six, all of the sixth floor yes, and do. a portion of the fifth floor. So. And we're at the corner office here with all the windows because I'm talking with the president right now. So we are, it is floor to ceiling. It is stunning. Um, I inherited it about three years ago from one of the named icon shareholders, Mike Furen. Cool. cool. And, uh, so anyways, this is, a, this is a great location. And so it's a, uh, uh, today is, what is today? Today is December 19th. And so we're up here on the sixth floor. It's a beautiful, uh, brisk Sarasota day. The sky is blue, but I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to enjoy this interview. So, well, let's get into it, Talise. Um, Since you're president and uh, shareholder at iCard Merrill, my favorite question for you and every other guest is, is what's one thing that most people do not know about Talise? 
I have been to the Arctic Circle. Oh, cool. Um, and had a beer at uh, Coldfoot, which is, if you ever watch Ice Road Truckers. I have seen all, that. And they all stop to get their truck fixed and have a beer. Um, I have done that. And then I have traveled further north. I have seen that. So, so they, so is there a brewery up there or do they? <laughs> no, in fact, it was really funny when we pulled in, um, you had to fly like basically a bush plane to get in. And then a van picked us up from the, if you want to call it a runway, that's about, it's not an airport. It's a, it's a runway and it is primarily uh, a mechanic shop just there for equipment drop-off, pickup, trucks to get repaired. And, and beer. And there's a little corner over there where you can go get a beer. And so I had a beer because that's what they all do. And I felt like I needed to do that. Well, I was once on a trip to Costa Rica one time in a little uh, puddle jumper of an airplane. And we actually had to um, kind of fly by this little runway a couple of times and get the cattle off the runway once before we could <laughs> land. So uh, that was kind of cool. So, I, so I, at least I have a point of reference, yeah. I guess, on what, that, what the experience right. was. So, Well, that's very cool. That's definitely on my bucket list, and hopefully I will make it there one day. So cool. Yeah. Well, so you're an attorney. Yes. You've been in this industry for a long time. Why law? Why law? How did I get here? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, well, law does not run in my family. Like most attorneys will tell you that their parents or father, someone was an attorney. Mine was just the opposite. They were writers, speakers. Um, my dad was a minister and I wanted something entirely different and took the Myers-Briggs because that's what you do in high school to figure out your personality and found exactly, out, yeah. uh, found that I was interested in this area, uh, didn't mind speaking and making arguments and wanted to get more education than my parents had. My dad got a four-year degree, but before then there weren't uh, a lot of people that were going on to graduate school in my family. In fact, that was the first. That's interesting. So, mm -hmm. so what is your, uh, what's your Myers-Briggs profile? I'm an ENTJ. <laughs> Oh yeah. I actually don't remember anymore. And I'm pretty sure I went from an E to an I halfway through my, my adult life. Is that right? I thought maybe after you became president of a law firm. <laughs> just, just the opposite. How often can I shut the door and read a book? Well, give us, give us some broad strokes background uh, of your career because um, uh, you've been here, you've been here a couple of years now, or excuse yeah. me, you took over a couple of years ago. I did. As CEO. So where did you go to school, in law school and, and get your degree there? Where was that? The University of Miami. Yeah. I, and I started working there in Miami for a couple of years and ended up here in Sarasota because my dad's family is here from Venice and Sarasota and ended up in uh, 2000. One, moving here from Miami to start a legal career and worked at a couple of different firms through the years, had my own firm for a while, and then ended up moving here. I just had my fifth year anniversary, oh, actually, good. in good November. For you. Good for you. But are you native Flor Floridian? I am. I was born in St. Petersburg. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, all, all the snowbirds are coming down here ruining it for you with all the growth now. <laughs> actually, may, but maybe in your, in your firm, it, it's actually more business. We come here and screw things up, right? <laughs> I, look, if, if people didn't come here, I probably wouldn't be as busy as I am. So. Well, that's interesting. Well, I want to get into what it's like to be president of a, a firm like this. But tell us, again, broad strokes about iCard Merrill. Uh, what you do and the areas that you all specialize in and kind of the scope of the practice, uh, the size, et cetera. So the firm is about 100 people total, uh, about 30, 35 attorneys at any given time. And it is 70 years old. So it is 1953. It was started and I think the oldest in the area here. We're certainly the largest local law firm, meaning that we don't have our corporate office in a different state or city with a branch here in Sarasota. We're, we're here in Sarasota. We've got two main offices, one in Lakewood Ranch and one here. And for the most part, we do anything that you need with just a couple of exceptions. We don't have a criminal law practice um, and a couple of other areas of law we don't handle. And for the most part, we mainly emphasize in some type of property, whether it's real estate transactions or acquisitions, land use, our land use department's quite big. I do condominium and homeowner association. We of course have litigation department, but we do just about everything that you need. We have a huge uh, estates and probate area of law and family law division. So if there's something that you need, chances are that we will have individuals and attorneys that practice in that area can help you out. Interesting. So, so your Lakewood Ranch location, was that a recent opening or have you been out there for quite a while? We've been out there for quite a while, but we are in the process in both offices of redoing the offices. So the Lakewood Ranch office, we were on a couple of different floors and more piecemealed and we revamped the second floor, took over the entire second floor of the Lakewood Ranch building and expanded and then took some of our attorneys here in the main Sarasota downtown office and moved them over to Lakewood Ranch. And we are now redoing some of the interior of our Sarasota Main Street office. Well, I'm really interested in getting into your specialty, which is condominium and homeowner association mm -hmm. law. And the reason I'm interested in that is because I am on the board at our HOA. You are a glutton for punishment. We are a glutton for punishment. <laughs> and, and you know, it's interesting, again, coming down from Cincinnati, yeah. I, I lived in other neighborhoods that had HOAs. It was very, how, how should I say, it was just um, you hardly knew that they were there because there really weren't any issues that ever came up. And not being on the board there, I guess maybe I was less cognizant of really what happens and the importance of them and whatnot. But talk about, if you will, in your specialty, first off, the type of clients that you serve and, and some of the issues that you have to deal with on, you know, on a common basis. And then even, you know, some of the odd things that, that pop up from okay. time to time. Sure. So I represent the association side, the corporation side of the condominium or homeowner association, as opposed to developer, which if you practice in this area, the developer attorneys stay on the development side, the corporate attorneys stay on the corporate side. And once transition has occurred where the developer turns over the association, 
usually that means you get a different kind of attorney. So I, I do the latter after turnover. And then there are some attorneys that will represent unit owners or the homeowners, and I don't do any of that. I represent just the corporation. So essentially, I practice corporate law is what it actually ends up being. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I mean, I mean, just, and I, I kid you not, this was 72 hours ago. Cocktail party, cocktail party conversation. Right. And there is a development out in the Lakewood Ranch area that is in the process of turning it over to the residents there. Right. And, you know, unfortunately, everybody, or I shouldn't say everybody, there's a certain faction out there that's already ticked off about how things have been developed. And I don't know the specifics of it, nor, right. nor would I talk about it right now. But, you know, they even brought in a security person because they were going to have, right. you know, they were going to have a meeting of all the HOA members and they, they were honked off about something. And so I will just say, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty disheartening to hear those types of stories, but it's not uncommon, I would assume. It is not uncommon. One of my first memories being in Miami was a meeting I went to in Homestead in which it was so controversial that we ended up uh, exceeding the limit of people that could be in the clubhouse, the occupancy authorization. The police were called, the fire trucks arrived. We ended up having the meeting, but there was so much going on that the police had to stay. We, we moved outside since we had exceeded the occupancy. And it started because it appeared like there was going to be a fight. So the manager called the police, they came, they saw how many people were in there. We exceeded the occupancy. They moved everybody outside. We begged the police to let us have this meeting if they would stay, as opposed to requiring us to disperse. And, you know, it, it, we ended up getting some part of business done. But unfortunately, it was so controversial that the president, uh, about a month later, sold her house and moved away. Uh -huh. And they can get, they can get very, very personal and something that seems to be it should be harmonious in a community. It, it can get very, very difficult. It's interesting. I've been through two estate plans and I always thought that the worst part of law would be dealing with estate issues. And typically it's, it's only estates that there where there's a lot of money involved. If there's no right. money. Involved, right. You know, no one's fighting. That's right. You know, you right. sign here, sign there, we're done. But you know, now hearing what you're talking about, share with me, how could a scenario like that have been avoided or a lot of these scenarios that come up where obviously you're dealing with people's homes. It's very right. personal. Right. And share with us, I guess, in broad strokes, how those scenarios can be avoided either right. by, I don't know, the HOA corporation or the board members, but share with our listeners your thoughts on that. How you keep control of a meeting. You know, a lot of it has to do I got, first of all, I got my minor in psychology, which has come in just as handy as my law degree. And that there's a truth to that. People want to be heard and their home is probably their biggest asset. Uh, something that they've sunk more finances into than anything else. And it's supposed to be their safe place, their haven. And they want to do what feels comfortable in their home. So to have someone tell them they can't do this or they must do that it's already personal because it's a different kind of law. So when you start to have an issue, which becomes controversial in a community, condominium or homeowner association, 
most of the issues that arise are people feeling like they're not being heard. And there is a real issue when the board comes in and appears to have this I'm in charge kind of attitude and you don't matter or I hear what you're saying, but who cares? And you lose, you lose the respect of the people. So one of the things that you can do, and one of the things that I try to do before we get into the meeting, maybe a week before, and then certainly at the beginning of a meeting in which you can tell there's going to be controversy is to set that table. So before the meeting, either the board, which would be a good tip for the, any board member or an attorney working with a board of directors, a manager, any of those individuals that will be sending out notice to the community is set some ground rules. We're going to have, here's the agenda. Everyone will have an opportunity to speak. The ground rules might be that we're going to give everyone an opportunity, but it's going to be capped at three minutes. We'll be timing the comments. We've got a sign-up list. But for the most part, it's about how you're communicating. And then the same thing when you get to the meeting, calling the meeting to order, reminding everybody of the ground rules, and we're going to listen, not try to talk as soon as someone started to talk, you know, a lot of board members already formulating their response in their mind. And sometimes it's about just listening, making people feel validated. It's their community as well. And then if the board ends up doing something different, if the members have a vote and they end up taking an action, which might have been opposed to someone who voiced a very strong opinion, most of the time, the acceptance of whatever decision is being made comes better if someone feels like they have been hurt and validated. And that's a huge part of just being a good leader. You're just a part of being a, you know, kind of a human being too. You know I mean? Yeah. We, we, I mean, this is yeah. a basic thing that we all miss. I mean, it's funny because as you're talking, I mean, you, that's a real hot button for me because uh, I was a part of a, a private club where we were doing an expansion project and it became very controversial and the not only did the members at the club were they upset about it but the local community was upset about it the, the local neighborhood and it was going to people were going to throw lawsuits and so on and so forth right and what happened was the members of the club felt that like they were not being heard and the brilliant um uh, I, I guess mentor or the fellow ahead of me who was in charge at the time, a brilliant stroke on his part. He said, why don't we just have open forums and bring people in, let them share their concerns and so on. And the, the interesting thing is, is we had, I don't know, we had a dozen or so of these open forum meetings and right. people came in in twenties and thirties and the early meetings, people were upset and they, they, you could tell they, they were, you know, very emotional about it. And they said their piece and we, right. and we thanked them we, and we said, we're going to do our best you know, and navigate this, et cetera, et cetera. And it was just like an air valve had been opened and you let all that out. The pressure. Right? And then the later meetings, it was in the same people kept coming to the same meetings. Right. You know? To see how right? it. They were retirees. They didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> I didn't say that one. You did. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but it was a brilliant stroke right? on his part. It was just right. simply listening. Right. And if I could even expand this a little bit more, this is a major problem in our entire country as regards to politics. 
Elections, with regard to our election decisions, it's just unbelievable. Yes. Right. Um, where people, we, we don't even want to have the conversations anymore because people won't listen because they're always trying to defend their, their position rather than listening and say, well, maybe I can learn something here. Maybe so. you can. And so there's, there's a process. People process information at different rates anyway. So sometimes when, obviously when you're very emotional, all you're doing is defending your position. So once you've got that out or once the board members or anyone is listening to a confrontation, if you can simply just listen and let out that emotion, it may be that later on you can end up processing. So in, a, in an association meeting, for example, it is perfectly okay for a board member, board members to say, let me, let's think on this. Let's not make a decision today. Great point. Let's think on this and let's have another meeting next week and run through the scenarios. What that is doing is it actually allows the board to process the information in case there is actually something out there uh, that needs to be considered from the members, but it also makes the members feel validated and gives the members an opportunity to process any response from the board and you come back. And if the decision is still uh, unchanged, even after all of that, normally it will be better accepted. And not always, you can still have a lawsuit. You may still have some other issues, but nine out of 10 times you can diffuse a, a very uh, fragile situation, which is can be very explosive. You represent association management companies. No, just the association, not oh, the sorry, management sorry, the, companies. The, the yeah. association one. Then, then how does someone um, give us a couple of other other tips on how to be a great you know board member? Right. How to what or even on the flip side, what are some of the mistakes that you know, like why are you shooting yourself in the foot with this? Right. Um, listening to the members is really the the biggest thing. As a board member, you're a volunteer. Uh, so the other point that is very valid to make is you probably don't do this for a living and you may not be as aware of the issues as you may have been in your own business. So especially here in this area, in our, our West Coast area, Sarasota, Manatee counties, you've got incredibly successful business people yep. and they have run small, you know, countries and, and, Large corporations, large corporations, you know, all of that and been um, unbelievable in what they have done, but they can completely fail in a not-for-profit volunteer community because they may run it too much like they do their business. There's a lot that goes into the statutory provisions, you know, condominiums and homeowner associations both have their own statutory chapters that are quite thick. And the nuances of the different issues and the legal parameters are different. And so it's a bit humbling to go into what you would otherwise consider to be a new job at, especially in this area, at a retirement age. Yep. And not, not even know what you don't know. And well, so I, I will say when I first moved down here and I did a number of things in my background before I became Sarah said his number one podcaster. Right, of course. <laughs> but but uh, I actually took the CAM exam. You did? I did. And? And, and? and I actually passed it on the first time. Okay. 
and then, so, but you're not doing it. So no, I decided not to go into that, but I, I will say the number one thing that I learned from taking that exam was really from being uh, a part of an association. And that is you have to realize as a homeowner that you're actually giving up part of your rights Right. Because you're part of the association. And I mean, if you lived out in the country and you, you, know, you have you know, right. 40 acres and you're not a part of that, that's a different animal. But that's the number one thing that I learned. It, it is. And in fact, there's a Florida Supreme Court case which almost uses that exact concept that you have just said that you as a, a condominium owner ended up being a condominium case. As a condominium owner, you give up uh, a certain bundle of rights that you otherwise would have had because you are in this very, usually in proximity as well, close community with shared concepts. Right. And not always shared values, but certainly shared spaces. Common areas, yes. sure. Uh, and there is there is a different, unique view to that. And it's ever-changing. Amendments, you know, and now we do it this way. We've changed our policy in a different board and so it is also evolving all the time. So as soon as you think you know it and you've got it, the law changes, the, the documents change, the board and the leadership change. It is, it is constantly changing. How often should a HOA upgrade or amend its bylaws because these laws are changing? And, and many associations, they're not even aware of it. That is, that is true. Because you're a volunteer position, right? Right, they are. If they are working with an attorney, if they're working with a manager, you'd hope that they would be getting some updates. And I will tell you that both condo and homeowner association board members are required to take certification classes once they get on the board. So hopefully they will be exposed to at least some of these um, changes in general concepts. But to your question, normally it's an expensive project but normally if an association can afford to do it every 10 to 15 years that would be reasonable enough mm. and it some of it is to include new nuances in the law but a lot of it is reevaluating whether or not your community still runs in that same way just like a business you know keep what's good and let's see do we need to tweak something um, I've got a lot of communities that have been no truck communities forever well, think about what a truck looks like today as opposed to 20 years ago. It's no longer, you know, the Ford F-150 that's beat up with the contractor's toolbox in the back right. and paint spots everywhere. A lot of these trucks are what they would consider trucks. And I don't know, is a Jeep with the bed in the back? Yeah, is that a truck right, now? Right, I don't know. Um, yeah. That kind of thing. Or the, the Escalade that's got, you know, open space right. in the back. Is that a truck? Right. And most of these kinds of vehicles are more expensive than a lot of the cars. Sure. So, and they're used for primary family vehicles. Right. No longer right. just for right. a construction site, which right. is probably what the no truck requirement was um, envisioning when it was implemented in the year that the documents were written. How about Airbnb? Airbnb. <laughs>
Red Tide. Red, right. <laughs> that is exactly Ooh, right. Ooh, boo. But you came from Cincinnati, right? And right, you of course, didn't sure. You moved down yeah, here yeah. right away. You started by coming and visiting. Right, right. Well, say you finally want to buy a place down here, but you're not quite ready to move down here. So if you get a good deal and we'll move down in five years, wouldn't it be great to have some rental income for the five years that you're not primarily here? Of course. So it makes sense that this is such a big issue here. But of course, for those people that live here, there is a different feeling with people coming and going VRBO or, or Airbnb or rentals. Um, and they are at this point getting to be heavily regulated. And I will say more violations stem from people that are more transient. Sure. Especially for short-term rentals. And if your community was not established for that, it's a, it's a hard mix to have both kinds of residents. Well, as a homeowner, we did pass a amendment mm -hmm. where you have to, the renter has to be a year or more. So it was no Airbnb. Right. So I, I hope what we did was okay, but I mean, we did break any legal laws, but we, we may have to edit that part out. Right. <laughs> but, so but it's the good part about, you know, being able to delete and yeah, la la la, yeah, yeah, didn't yeah. hear that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, let's switch, well, let's switch now to the fact that you're leading the uh, largest law firm in Sarasota and you're the first woman yes. president of uh, iCard Merrill. I have often heard that you see an organization differently when you're at the very top compared to when you're coming up, you're making your way, you're maybe even you're being groomed. You know, you've been tapped right. to somebody who can really lead this ship. Right. What was it like from the time when you were not CEO to the time now you are? What, what, how do you see the organization differently now? Wow. Um, because I get to lead at this point into what we could be, unfortunately, I see more of the, we should change this, we should do that, and the things that are not working so well, because you're in charge of making them work better, or sure. run better, sure. or smoother. So my biggest change has been in how I perceived the firm, that maybe it's not... Um, it's not as it's not as up to date on certain things. So our technology could be a little oh bit goodness. better. Our systems Every 72 could be hours, better, right? Yeah, right? it seems like sure. And before I probably would have individually said, I've got this great computer screen and I've updated my own little world on the technology, but now it's firm wide. Are we using the latest software? Sure. Could we be doing something more efficiently to help serve our clients better? And even promotes, uh, you know, ease of use for those that are here working. So I've even wondered if there is a company that exists today that's not a technology company. I mean, I've, a friend of mine, a friend of mine shared with me, he's a big fan of Starbucks and, right. and is invested heavily in them and whatnot. He said, he said, Starbucks is not a coffee company. It's a technology company. They know how much it costs them to acquire a new customer anywhere in the world. Right. I mean, that's pretty extraordinary. That is. And I would think even, you know, with, with the law firm as well, there's so many moving parts and right. you have to have great technology to stay up to date. You do. I mean, you think about that uh, example you just gave and you asked the difference. When you start working at Starbucks and you're the barista, you see coffee and smells and 
cool cups and flavors. But when you rise to a different level and move your way through the company, you start to drill down. And now you're not seeing that glitz or glamour as much as you are. How are you as, as a business? And I will say that has been that has been the biggest transition is my eyes are opened. Um, and a lot of it's very good, but a lot of it is, wow, we could be doing things a little bit better and differently, and we're going to have to. And you know what? This would have happened anyway, regardless of my transition. It was happening because of, obviously, COVID in 2020 and the way we had to deal with technology, the way systems and staffing, their outlooks, their reconsideration of their family time and the life that they wanted to now live after being exposed right. to this worldwide pandemic. Right. It was going to change anyway. But I, I want to come back to that because because now virtual meetings is a thing with right. HOAs. But right. I, I want to talk a little bit more about just leading the, the law firm. I want to, okay. Obviously a woman. Yes. Uh, like many industries, there are a lot of, I think the last statistic I read in preparing for this meeting, there's 38, 37% of attorneys in this country are female, but there's okay. very few that lead a law firm like this. Was this something you had aspired to at some point early on, or was it your, your predecessor, uh, Robert Lyon said, uh, Hey, Talise, uh, I think we got something good here. Right. This is a podcast. So you don't see me just about bursting out laughing. No, this is not what I ever envisioned. It's not what I aspired to. However, um, it, and it was the latter actually. Um, right. Bob Lyons did come to me even a couple of years after being here. I hadn't been here very long and must have seen something in me that he thought would work. And I, I put him off for a good year, over a year before I then said, okay, I got it kind of hammered down and, and talked into it to some extent, but also did some real good self-evaluation. Can I do this? Would I want to do this? Am I the right person? Do I feel like I can fit this bill? And what does he see in me that he even came to me? Because there's people that have been here a lot longer and who I would have thought could have been more qualified, but he's seeing something. And then I mentored with him for an extra year. I know um, he had the opportunity to leave a year earlier uh, as president. And by the way, he is still here at the firm. Yes. still a member, um, actively arbitrating and, and mediating. But to step down from the president role, I asked him to stay on for another year and just mentor me very openly. So That's people great. knew that I was That's coming great. up in. And that was a huge part of That's it. That's priceless. It was because it also gave, and it's that processing we've talked about. It's a total different contrast. He had been the president for 23 years. He was a male. It was a male dominated firm for many, many years. Just coming out of, you started a firm in the fifties or sixties. Right. Of course it's male dominated right. just by default. The whole business world was. So it gave others the opportunity to also process that there's a change and a transition that's going to happen. It's going to be a female. She's going to be younger. Um, let's see how this goes in different scenarios. So this year as we basically went side by side and him helping me find my way into this role. So by the time it came, I was very comfortable and the 
firm was very comfortable. And then we noticed that the people and the companies that we worked outside of the firm had already been exposed and it had had an opportunity to process this. So it's really a seamless transition then. I thought it was very seamless. Um, and the feedback I've gotten the same way. That's great. I felt like I fit right into it without a lot of jarring. I, I find that fascinating because I, because I have interviewed a number of, uh, women CEOs, uh, Allison Emery back in episode 89. She's yeah. a great fine communications. Yeah. Right. Her take was I mean, obviously she bought the company and I'd asked her, I said, you know, was there ever a time when you thought, what have I gotten myself into? You know, why, <laughs> why am I here? But, and, and there wasn't, wasn't any yeah. hesitation on her part. Yeah. I thought that was pretty incredible. And then back right. in episode 72, Jennifer D'Alonzo, diversified material specialist, uh, they, it's a fiber optics company. They run down the Osprey or it's a smaller operation, but she, she right. came from the Philippines right. and bought this, you know, and transition and, and whatnot. But, you know, again, maybe my listeners are, are sick of me hearing this, you know, but as a dad of three daughters, uh, you know, I'm very pro woman as far as being in leadership. What have you, it's a tough question for me to ask here, but I mean, how do you feel like you've been able to approach this differently as a woman than maybe as a man would have? I think that, look, we just work differently. There's just a little bit of a synapse that's uh, different between a female approach versus a male approach. And one of the strengths is, I think, to some extent, putting in the what I call the people factor. Um, maybe it's a bit of more of an emotional factor. Maybe it's a bit more of a patience. You know, there's, a, there's something to be said about the multitasking of a female as well. So I think a lot of these capabilities that you see that are usually stronger and more innate in a female can really be quite an asset and a different take to a company than the company may have had before. Um, I have come in and one of the first things I, the, my goal for this past year was to really get to know the staff better and to have a better connection with each person. I don't know that I've accomplished it as well as I would like, but if there's that nexus and relationship, that but that's more of a female um, trait than a male in many instances, unless you end up making an effort to and do so. I think so. it's okay to say that, Elise. You know to do to put labels on that, say it's more of a female trait or a male trait. And yeah. those are broad stroke statements. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Very it's part much of your so. style as well. Right. Part of your style as well. Well, that is fascinating. You mentioned earlier about COVID and you wrote a paper or you were a presenter, the role of virtual meetings in a post-pandemic association right. operations. Uh, I've been a part of those. I think that's, it's, it's interesting. Um, from the standpoint, first of all, most of my interviews I do for this podcast are virtual. That's one dynamic. Fortunately, I'm here in person, which is a completely different dynamic. Right. But how has this virtual virtualization, I guess, of uh, association meetings and operations, what changes do associations have to be cognizant of? And yeah. How has it affected the association? I think for the most part, it's been very beneficial because you're able to reach more people 
and include them, especially when it comes to meetings. That's where we're really seeing the virtual in the community associations. It's in the board meetings and the member meetings. And when you can go to meeting or, or use Zoom and have members that will attend that would not otherwise be able to attend from Cincinnati. Right, right, right. Or they're not interested in a phone call um, and phoning into a meeting, but they would do it from a virtual uh, mixed media where you've got video as well. And there's a lot more participation, which I think overall is good. Um, there's also been a big move in the statute in the last five years or so to move to electronic voting. And so I've seen that now starting to really wow. take off. The statute has authorized it for some years, but most associations didn't use it until the, the focus on technology, whether it be by Zoom meetings, right. whether it be uh, by um, you know holding different platforms, all of a sudden the full-fledged electronic uh, concept is coming to associations where we're going to use electronic voting. We're going to be doing virtual meetings or cross media on those. I think it's been good. It helps me to have more time. If I'm traveling to your meeting. Oh, sure. Right. An oh, hour sure. to an hour and from. So I'm, I've got more time as it, well. It kind of sends shivers down my spine when I think about the presidential elections and all the scuttlebutt <laughs> over that. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. Right. But, right. But, it, but it's inevitable. This it is, is the world we live in. This is the world that we live in. So that, that's a point well taken. Right. So well, this has been fun. Um, I, but I do want to leave our listeners with uh, the question, you know, who should reach out to you? Who do you like to talk to if they have an issue in their HOA? Um, if it is, if there's a board of directors that's looking for a new attorney, that's really my niche. Um, if you are getting ready for turnover and expecting that you will have uh, an election and you are probably likely to be nominated and be a part of that, that ends up being uh, an owner individual that could contact me. And, you know, if, if you just have questions and honestly, even if it doesn't fit perfectly within my scope, I'll try to give you a referral. And certainly with respect to any type of legal assistance, counseling, you know, we're, we call ourselves iCard Merrill attorneys and counselors, because as much of it is That's right. counseling through difficult situations or tough decisions or whatever it may be. So if you end up reaching out to me and I can't assist you directly, we'll make sure that we get you someone that can. That's a great place to tie this off. All right. Talise Zuber, shareholder and president at iCard Merrill. Thank you for being on the Sarasota Stories podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And appreciate it. Else, yep. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you all. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect. Connect.